Welcome, welcomen, bienvenue to Down the Line, a Secret Army podcast, an episode-by-episode review of the best TV drama series ever made. Hello, I'm Andy, and I've loved Secret Army, well, forever. I'm AJ, and I fell in love with the show a couple of years ago because of Andy. It's all Andy's fault. (laughs) Sorry, not sorry. (laughs) I'm just blaming you straight away from the offset. Yeah, I got that. So... Yeah, this is a re-recording of our introductory episode, not because it got lost due to some technical buffoonery, but because, I guess because of our personal buffoonery. (laughs) (laughs) We were so excited to be recording and to be talking about Secret Army. I guess because together we we get more and more, let's just say it was a bit too silly and... It was our first time really recording together. And kind of meet it. We'd had a phone call, but it was our first time kind of really speaking about Secret Army together. And exactly. yeah, as a result, we were the giddiest of all kippers. <laughs> we really were. I love that phrase, a giddy kipper. Yeah. So it could be that later on we refer back to something in the introductory episode that does no, no longer exists <laughs> in the canon of the Down the Line podcast. Look, we have canon already. We must have arrived. So yeah, so bear with us on that. But... Also, things that we recorded back then might be out of date. Yeah. And, yeah, I don't remember how much we we referred to things in in the real world. Yes. (laughs) And we also just said absolutely like a hundred million times. So Andy would say something like, and I think the writing is really good. And I'd be like, absolutely. And then... Then I would say absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) It would just be an endless chain of absolutely. So we're going to try... And learn from our mistakes. But I like to think this is this is a bit of a um, a visitation moment for Doctor Who fans listening. That is that we're we're recording the visitation first, so that when we get to Castrovalva, that it will sound it, that the Davis and Doctor will be fully in role. Yes, but it doesn't quite work because they didn't record it twice. But anyway, there you go. That's my Doctor Who illusion. Good. We've got to get those <laughs> in there. Listeners will learn this about you. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Apologies in advance. If I can link it back to Doctor Who in some way, I will, because I think Doctor Who led me to Secret Army in a way. I don't know whether is that true. Let's leave that stone unturned Okay, for now. okay. But, the, you know, I'm selling it as a two for one. Not only are you going to learn loads about Secret Army by listening to this podcast, you're going to get loads of Doctor Who knowledge for free. <laughs> yeah. We should say, I mean, we've already said welcome, but honestly, let's just repeat yes. that. It's so good that you chose to to tune in and listen to this, yes. tune in. It makes it sound like we're, we're twiddling twiddling buttons on an old old portable black and white. But <laughs> AJ's like, what's a portable black and white? <laughs> I'm not that young. <laughs> it just feels it to me. <laughs> but yeah, thank you for joining us. Thank you for choosing this podcast. We hope to make it worth your while. AJ and I are really excited to share what we know and what we think about the series, but it's not just about us. It's about you as well. And we really want to hear from you. And we want to make this a dialogue and interaction as much as us just like imparting wisdom. And sometimes it won't be wisdom, will it? Sometimes it won't be wisdom. <laughs> wow, Andy, selling yourself think, there to the listeners. I think we're just going to be honest. Sometimes it'll be our opinions that you disagree with, but that's also okay, I think. Because we're all going to feel differently about the episodes as we watch them. 
Yeah. And I just want to say a huge thank you um, as well, because we started mentioning this or letting people know about our plans to make this podcast around April time, April 2023, in case you're listening in years in the future. <laughs> and um, people have been so supportive. People have been tweeting that they can't wait to hear it, that, you know, they, they're lending their support, that they're going to spread the word. They've been retweeting. And yeah, it's just been absolutely fantastic. And well, should we drop drop the teasers now? The special guests that we will have on the show <laughs> absolutely have also been amazing and we won't name names yet because no. we want to keep things a surprise yes but you've got to tune in and stay excited for them but we just want to say a huge thank you because so many people both actors and crew have been amazing and giving up their time talking to us yeah that's such an exciting thing i can't wait to hear these interviews <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have you've only heard one yet. I know, exactly. That just that doesn't make sense. You've only heard one so far. Yeah. Yeah, I've been teasing Andy. I've just been like, I've interviewed this person today. They totally have. <laughs> I've not been infuriated <laughs> at all. <laughs> no, I really haven't, actually. It's just been it's been nice to actually just hear what, what you've been doing and um yeah. So for anyone new to Secret Army, or maybe you haven't watched it in a while and you need to recap. I just thought I'd just do a quick run-through of what Secret Army is and was. Secret Army was one of the most watched TV series of the 1970s. It ran for three series and a total of 42 episodes in total. And it told the story of the members of the Brussels-based resistance organisation Lifeline and the senior German officers trying to halt their activities. We both agree it was far more than just another wartime series, boasting brilliantly conceived scripts, a nuanced and complex depiction of life and morality during war, and some simply unforgettable performances by a cast at the very height of their powers. And we believe, 40 years on, it still enthralls and enchants in equal measure. Here, here. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's worth just saying, I mean, I don't really believe in metrics and scores, but it does surprise me and it, it gladdens me that to see on the Internet Movie Database that it has 8.6 over 42 episodes is its average score. And of course, back in the day, it was hugely successful. Over 20 million viewers at its peak. It was helped, granted, by the ITV strike in 1979, but it really did grip the nation at that time. But even without the strike, it was still on, you know, oh, yeah. 14 million viewers or what Yeah, exactly. You? And it was part of that, that hit Saturday night lineup, which was... Basil Brush, then Doctor Who, then Larry Grayson's Generation Game, followed by Secret Army. It was a classic Saturday night lineup. And I love how much that has stayed with you. Honestly. <laughs> You're just picturing it as you say <laughs> I, the I would names sit of the show. Watch it all. I'd be like, oh my God, this is amazing. So why are we doing this, AJ? Why are we doing this podcast together? Yes. Well, on a personal note, we're gonna have the best time ever talking about Secret Army in such depth. I think that's true. But it seemed like the time to do it. I felt like the show has had another revival recently for various reasons. I think a lot of people have discovered the show um, during all of the pandemic lockdowns and things like that. They've heard of its reputation. They've heard it was a great show. And then they finally had time to sit down and enjoy it all mm. in one go. It's also been on Talking Pictures. I know some of the cast and crew have been enjoying the repeats whilst it's been shown again on there as well. But also... People have been enjoying it collectively, watching it on Talking Pictures and tweeting along yeah, on social media. Wonderful. So it's been like a community experience. People have been talking about it in real time and that's been absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Um, if I may drop a massive clangor, <laughs> a name. I was talking to Juliet Hammond-Hill yesterday. 
And wait, let me uh, <laughs> let me. No, well, I can't say that. Normally, I tease you about um, and and make a bell noise, don't I, for name dropping? But actually, I've just been doing the same. You so. have <laughs> so much more than me, actually, recently. <laughs> but I'll ring it for myself. Ding ding. But I'm not just saying her name to show off, but because Juliet said to me yesterday, I have a theory why Secret Army is so beloved now and why people are going back to it. Oh, I love this. A hot off the press theory. Yes, that it is because people are wanting to get back to a time or immerse themselves in something that feels safe and and memorable and comfortable. And it's about getting back to that time which was better in their life. You know, it's about it's about immersion. And I thought that was really interesting that Juliet felt that so strongly about the show and she could see its place that it could have now in a world that's quite uncertain and difficult. Yeah, yeah. And I think the majority of the people who are in the Secret Army fandom were teenagers or children at the time that it aired. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there is definitely that nostalgia or, the, like you say, those feelings from childhood coming into yeah. coming into it. Yeah, nostalgia. She recognised that's what it was about. Yeah. And um, personally, I just feel like the podcast just has to be done. It's been sitting there. It has to be done. It has to be done now. It has to be done. It's a mountain that needs to be climbed. It's been sitting there waiting for me ever since I covered it on UK TV Drama Pod with Martin. Honestly, that was one of the most stressful podcast experiences of my life, trying to do all of Secret Army in one episode. I think you did a great job. I think you managed it. I don't, I don't remember. I haven't listened to it back. But I felt it deserves a deeper dive and exploration through something that was more discursive, gave it more room to breathe a chance to explore themes and characters, and also the production side of things, which I have to admit also fascinates me. It is an important series for me. It properly runs through my veins. And because of that, I wanted to share it as well with my boyfriend, Ryan, who is watching it with me for the first time. It's important to me that he sees the series so he understands my love. I'm not insisting that he enjoys it. (laughs) And you want to keep dating understands. me? You've got to love this show, mate. <laughs> exactly. That's that's the deal. So yeah, it, it's more that I want them to see what it what it's like. We're we're nine episodes in now, and he's still happy to watch more. But yeah, obviously, it's a different reaction to me, and it's a different time. But yeah, we we will be putting into each episode um, a clip of Ryan telling us how he feels about each episode. It's instant reactions. Sometimes they'll be long and detailed. Sometimes they'll be quite short. And you'll be like, oh, he didn't really like that (laughs) or whatever. But we'll be hearing from Ryan in a segment which we've kind of stolen from the New To Who podcast where Bridget filled that role. So if you ever listen to that podcast, that was always a fun element. In fact, I used to joke with those guys that Bridget was the best thing in their podcast. (laughs) Yeah, and as we said earlier, this is a very Doctor Who filmed Secret Army podcast. Yes. Sorry, I mentioned it again. I'll go and sit in the naughty corner. No, no. I think there's a the Venn diagram of um, Doctor Who fans and Secret Army fans is a near full circle. So yeah. But um, as you were talking, I just thought as well. I think the themes that are covered in Secret Army are, are very relevant today still. And I think with the current conflicts that are happening, it brings those themes into the foreground again. Mm. I think we're we're fascinated by how people operate in these extreme circumstances that's the thing about secret army that's always got me is about how do these people live how do they love how do they survive and what is it what does it mean to survive and is it enough to survive or do you actually have to fight you know do you have to fight for what you know is right 
where is morality and ethics and all of this? And I think the way that this is explored and played out through the characters and themes and situations is just fascinating and so brilliantly done. I'm always listening to other podcasts where people suddenly talk about Secret Army and in, in, in a quick breath saying, oh, of course, the best TV drama series ever made by the BBC. And it's like, this isn't just our opinion. So many people who I respect and understand TV see Secret Army as, as the tops. And I just love hearing that regularly because they're right. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I, another reason why I wanted to do this podcast is um, I'm in my 30s, so I didn't grow up watching Secret Army. <laughs> Sad, my Saturday nights were uh, filled with gladiators, blind date, and Noel's house party. Oh my but God. no Secret Army, Andy. <laughs> How are you so well-rounded, AJ? <laughs> I know, I know. Well, and um, I want to pass this TV show to people my age and younger. I want, I hope this ah. podcast will encourage people to discover it and watch it. Yeah. Because, it, like you say, it's the best, the best evs. Yeah, it really is. Just to add as well, that since discovering it, it's, it run, I, lo I like that expression you use. It runs through my veins as well. Because mm. since discovering it, there's not a single part of my life it hasn't changed. And I love that. So I want to, I don't mind doing a podcast. You know, I'm happy to do a podcast about it where we talk about it obsessively <laughs> and in great detail. Yeah, it's quite a challenge ahead of us because we do plan to cover each episode in detail once one episode per episode yeah so when you just look at that in terms of how long secret army is that's 42 episodes and then we already have plans for specials and extras and... i don't think we realized the scale of the work that we had ahead of us did we we were like we'll just start recording and it's <laughs> going to be ace and then when i started putting what we've got into a schedule and things like that we're like actually we've got a lot of work ahead of us the first series alone is 16 episodes <laughs> So we've mentioned already it's going to be an episode by episode look at the show and that it's going to be more than 16 episodes uh, of this podcast for the first series alone, which I'm just going to drop in here, I think is worth a five star review in itself. <laughs> Thank you very much. So if you do want to, uh, you know, rate and review this podcast, wherever you listen to your podcasts, please do five stars, please. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, you know how it works by now. If people leave reviews, if people rate, then it means our podcast gets bumped up in all the podcast apps and more people will see it. And yeah, it would be nice to get an audience. We're not doing it principally for the audience. I think we're doing it because we think it should be done and we're enjoying doing this together. But it would be really nice if we can get um, get an audience that we interact with. Because as AJ already said, we're, we're really looking for that community feel and that interaction. We want this to be a co-created project wherever possible. And we will be having, if you want to join the show at some point for a particular episode that you feel strongly about, then that is also on the table. Yeah. And we um, also read out what people think of each episode at the, at the end to get that community aspect. And we'll have... We are going to uh, release an episode every fortnight, which with 16 episodes plus is going to take us from about September to next March. So <laughs> grab a cup of tea, put your seatbelt on. You're in for a long ride. Yeah. Strap in, love. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, as we said, we've got some amazing special treats coming up for you. I'm so excited. Yeah. So excited. You're yeah. going to love it. We've already talked about Ryan's reactions. Yeah, we have. Yeah. That's going to be a key part of each show. We're going to have giveaways from time to time. I've been collecting things to run giveaways. Oh. 
And we will also be having, at the end of each episode, someone's memories of watching Secret Army or what the show means to them is going to play over the uh, closing music. And that has been an incredible experience. I've been um, Zooming with people up and down the country to share their thoughts, memories, experiences of being a Secret Army fan. And it's led to the most wonderful and beautiful conversations. And it's so great to have those as a part of this podcast too. Yeah, can I just echo the thanks to all those people who bothered to do that? Thank you so much. Um, Particularly as people haven't heard anything yet. (laughs) That kind of blows me away. Yeah, everyone did this on trust. You might listen to this and be like, oh, I can't believe I've lent my voice to this. It's awful. But (laughs) hopefully you don't feel that way. But yeah, some people spoke to me for up to an hour. And, and that just speaks to how much the show is is loved and thought so highly of that people who yeah. don't know me, who just jumped on Zoom and just yeah. spoke so passionately about it. Incredible. Yeah. I'd also like to add something that I think we wouldn't have said in the initial intro episode, but now it occurs to me. And that is when we're reviewing the series and talking about it together, myself and AJ, we do often get quite giggly and silly (laughs) and I want to make it clear that it's not out of disrespect to the show no it's just because we're enjoying spending time together and sharing this love that we have for the show um so I would hate anyone to think it's disrespect or it's about sending up Secret Army there are a few moments that are silly and don't quite work but that's true of any drama series but I just wanted to reassure everyone that when we do descend as we will into (laughs) into laughter and silliness it is going to happen it is part of the show and as much as we like these serious moments like we've had a few of those in this episode we also enjoy being silly sometimes and you know poking fun at some things and at each other yeah so I hope you you understand that and that it's not it's not about disrespect we are always aiming to lift Secret Army up and celebrate it so that is our intention but having been on so many silly podcasts over the years myself. I just know what I'm like. Um, So yeah, apologies in advance. But I think that's what is working so well is that we, you know, we didn't know each other before we met online talking about Secret Army. Well, kind of, for the most part. And it's, this podcast has been a coming together of two silly like-minded souls (laughs) developing a beautiful friendship. And that's been fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I just said, I just said absolutely again. <laughs> no, Andy. Oh, stop, we have to re-record again. <laughs> so listeners might be wondering, who are we to set up a podcast and talk about Secret Army? Why do we think we should do this? Yeah, good question. I'm wondering that myself. <laughs> no, in, in all seriousness, I, I, sh- I shall blow my own trumpet for a moment. <laughs> yeah, I'm very good at that. People in my family are like, you know, you do that a lot. And I'm like, yes, but if I don't do it, no one else will. And that's got me to where I am in the world of work. I encourage more people to blow their own trumpet, actually. Um, yes. But I was involved with the original DVD releases when they were released by DD Home Entertainment. I think maybe the first series was DD Video. So it was their earliest incarnation. Back in the day, I was invited to write the booklets. And we did have a studio day, which was astonishing in back in 2004 I think it was and I was encouraged to invite all of the cast to come to a little studio in London and do um, interviews. Um, One of the biggest days of my life but also one of the biggest regrets because the camera work was terrible 
nothing to do with me but um it was all dark and yeah you weren't operating the camera or the lighting just to clarify <laughs> i wasn't or making decisions it was like oh my god no and just to clarify for the listener so those are the dvd extras that you yes. see on series three yeah absolutely and yeah and then i had so much interview material from all the cast that i couldn't include in the booklets that was like i should probably put this in a book and secret army deserves a book so I put the complete Secret Army together, which is still available from Classic TV Press, which means there are still boxes in the garage. <laughs> and that's the real reason why we're doing this podcast. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it really isn't. But it's fascinating that this book has outsold any other book I've written, either professionally or for fun. And that includes Tenko, Ooh. which I thought might be more popular as a book. But no, it's the complete Secret Army that everyone... And just to add, when I have been um, having my Zoom calls with people, nearly everybody had their book to hand to show me on camera. And it wasn't like we were using the book, you know, as a basis of conversation or anything, but it just shows how strongly they felt about the book that they had to almost prove that they, you know, like, I've got the book, look, (laughs) I'm holding it up for you on camera today, which was just, you know, so lovely to see. Yeah. I think it's worth mentioning as well that I'm so happy that I did the book at that time in 2008 because it encapsulates and celebrates the memories of people who are no longer with us Mm. and who contributed so openly and happily to to that book so you know some people who have are no longer with us like Clifford Rose and Terence Hardiman Bernard Hepton Paul Paul Annette yeah in fact I came across an email from Paul Annette the other day I was searching for someone else's contact details and I suddenly realized that we got into this massive dialogue about about old TV and it was just so fascinating to to see how close I was back to Paul back in the day and I hadn't hadn't even remembered that. Other people like Victor's Ritalis, who I don't know whether he's still with us, that's the question about Victor's, because I've not been able to raise him. If anyone knows, I'd like to know, because he would surely love to contribute to Down the Line. And we haven't mentioned that yet, but yeah, if you have any connections yourself to Secret Army, maybe you were in the show, worked on the show, Please get in touch and let us know. We'd love to speak to you if you know how to get a hold of anybody. Before the book was published, while I was still writing it, I had the joy of meeting and interviewing Angela Richards, who played Monique in Secret Army. And between us, we had this crazy idea. How about we actually put on an evening at the Condide in London? And that did happen in 2006 for two nights with cast members in attendance. It feels like a dream now. And the idea mainly for that was because she was constantly besieged and I was constantly besieged by requests for the music, which were on the Au Café Candide LP. And the music wasn't available. So we thought, well, we'll do this to bring the music back to the fans. And honestly, those nights we had... We had Jan Francis, Hazel McBride, Juliet Hammond-Hill, Terence Hardiman, Clifford... We didn't have Clifford Rose. He was in theatre elsewhere. He was fuming that he was acting in a play over there, elsewhere in the West End. And he was like, I want to be there. Yeah, couldn't he have... Uh, his understudy have stepped in. This is so <laughs> exactly. important. Rude. Um, Paul Annette was there. So many, so many amazing people. Um, but, and after we had that evening, we also got Angela to re-record um, the songs so that um, she could have full um, copyright cleared access to that music because it was hers. She wrote it all, um, some with other people, 
but we did a CD, which was also called An Evening at the Condide, which has literally just gone out of print because we ran out of all of the copies that we, we made. We made hundreds and hundreds of copies. And I think the last one was sold quite recently. So they're precious items now. <laughs> Scour eBay, everybody. Scour yeah. eBay. Yeah. Anyway, that's a bit about why I, I know stuff about Secret Army. And, and I think there's still stuff that I'm learning about the show now, but perhaps we'll come on to that. Mm. Well, I'm just me. I don't have the same connections. AJ is never just me, let me just say. <laughs> the amount of insight and intellect that they bring to exploration of this series is so important to me. So I'm just going to take Aww. a moment to celebrate that. Thank you. Thank you. If nothing else, I, I can bring all of the editing and production to the table. <laughs> <laughs> Which is such a relief for me. I'm just going to do the really hard bit of hosting. It. It's so much hard work hosting, hosting the podcast on a platform. I find it takes so much out of my day. <laughs> this, um, this podcast, making this podcast has been a wonderful experience um, over the past few months. And it has kind of grown in a really weird and wonderful and beautiful way and in ways I never expected. But I... It is taking up a lot of my life in a good way, but I am spending more time on it than I am on my current job at the moment, <laughs> which shows I've got my priorities straight. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So, Andy, you yeah. will have a very different relationship to the show than I will because I just discovered it in the past couple of years. I don't have those connections to the show hmm. to different parts in my life. But what I would really love to hear is how... You've been a fan of the show like over the years and how your relationship has maybe changed with it over time or have you got different things from Secret Army through, through different times you've watched it throughout your life? Yeah. So I first found myself in front of it um, during the repeat seasons, um, which I think were in 1881, at a really difficult family time because my father had left ha having had an affair with a parishioner, a vicar having an affair with a parishioner, <laughs> yeah, it, scandal. It almost sounds um, like someone's kind of made that up, doesn't it? For like a, a carry-on <laughs> movie or something. But I'm <laughs> sorry to hear that you went through that experience. No, I know. I mean, it's 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 everyone has this in their lives. Something like this. Um, he left. We were we were left in this rambling vicarage in a very bad suburb of Newcastle. And one of the things that brought me joy in that time was watching repeat runs of Secret Army. I didn't know it was a repeat. I just saw Secret Army come out and thought, well, this is a cool series. And I totally fell in love with the characters of Monique and Natalie. They were the show for me. They are still the show for me. And I made a connection with those two that was so intense, so real, that that gave me a real comfort. And it was something about them also struggling at a time of strife and uncertainty. And, you know, at nine years old, suddenly having the, the family unit completely destroyed and having your mum screaming and crying on the stairs and you know your your siblings not knowing how to, how to deal with it and effectively being the man of the house um at nine was kind of you know it was it was tough and I do connect with Secret Army on that on that level um but over time it's changed when I rediscovered it again it was like why was this important to me? And then it was like, it slick came thudding back to me why it was so important to me in my heart. There was so much in this series that was, that spoke to my own questions, to my own values and beliefs, 
but also that just recognised that this was brilliantly made television at a, at a moment in TV when time was taken to get things right, to develop character, to intricately plot, to understand that we need to explore emotions and motivations and drivers in a way that I think TV is now doing again. But it wasn't for a long time, I felt, in the 80s and 90s. Um, but I think TV has got back to that. But um, yes, it was, it, was, it was saying something about a time that had gone, but that was glorious and should be celebrated and should be remembered. Suddenly it was my mission, just like you, to, to tell everyone about it. It's like, do you not know about Secret Army? It's amazing. Yeah, but in terms of now how I feel about it, I feel like I've gone on forever, sorry. Um, <laughs> now how I feel about it, is changing again because I've got a new lens because I came out a few years ago and I'm now looking at it from an LGBTQ plus angle and also I'm thinking about the role of women more I'm thinking about the language used there's so many different things that are now that I'm now seeing this the series in a new light and yeah I've got new perspectives yeah, and it's been interesting as we have been recording. Sometimes you, your opinion has changed and you disagree with your past self mm. and what you said in, in the book. And that's interesting for me to hear as well. Yeah, totally. I'm reading, the, some, there's one bit in one of the episode reviews. I'm like, well, that's complete nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> the book's quite good, I think. But there's one episode like, well, you've got that completely wrong. <laughs> I think you might be your own harshest critic. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly an interesting look at how your relationship with something might change over time. Yeah, yeah. But what I want to know from you, what was it for you that drew you in yes. and made it important to you? And why is this, why is this all your fault, as I yes, claim? Yes, exactly. In the Tell us. opening sentences of this episode. So um, I always think that classic Doctor Who is a bit of a gateway drug yeah. <laughs> into other TV shows. And I had seen uh, Louise Jameson, uh, who... I mean, I don't need to tell the Doctor Who fans who are listening this, but just in case, who played the companion Leela. And um, she's an amazing actress, so I always try and see her at conventions or when she does theatre and things like that. And she always spoke about how her best job ever was Tenko. And for quite a long time, I just, that washed over me, didn't know what it was. And then I eventually found the DVD and thought, you know, oh yeah, you know, now's the time I'll watch this. She's always banging on about <laughs> how much she loves that show and how it was the best job ever that completely changed me broke me it was like the best drama like oh so from there I discovered your book about Tenko and your podcasts and your A to Z of UK TV drama where you go through all these other different shows and it was just this opening this whole new world into an era of television that I love but hadn't heard that much of or it's not so easy to find out about and I'd seen you'd done all of these extra interviews with the cast of Secret Army. And I thought, okay, you know, I'm going to save it. I won't listen to these episodes uh, until I've managed to watch the show. And it was kind of a, I felt like your tastes and appreciation of things are similar to mine. So I, I had this trust, if Andy loves this, I'll probably love it too. I'm going to go and dive into it. And yeah, from there, just fell into a world I've not come out of yet. Yeah. I think... Um, yeah, I think what really, we'll kind of get onto this in a bit more detail after, after when we start talking about what we love about the show, I suppose. But I think for me, yeah, it was just, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be in a wonderful way. I thought it was going to be, you know, a tally-ho, yeah. let's talk about the war and a focus on the male characters. And it, and it just wasn't. 
And yeah, I was just blown away by by the quality of it. Yeah. So, and it is one of those series. I'm sure I'll say this again and again, but it's one of those series that just improves series on series. And it's hard to think of another one where it just it kind of keeps getting better and better all the way. Yeah, I think what really struck me was how it never. I never stopped thinking about it. So I'd watch an episode and then I'd be doing the washing up thinking about it, or I'd be sat at the bus stop thinking about it, or you know just. In, working through those scenarios presented or thinking about the characters or you know and it, so few tv shows do that yeah and i just loved that it did and one thing that's what's worth mentioning is how much secret army was a male series and i think it starts off that way as well very male and a man's world but but the very substance and core of secret army and the real story of those guides who helped the evaders get back to home and to, to bomb again um was about women it's a story about women it's about their bravery it's about their their courage about their sacrifice and initially i think because this was the bbc in the 1970s as a production team of all men they couldn't actually get their head around that and therefore even though jan francis was cast as the lead this is a question we'll come back to is she the lead was she given that job? Was she given that role either in terms of how they dealt with her at the time or how she was dealt with in the scripts as Lisa Colbert? And I believe, and I think you agree with me, that one of the great joys of Secret Army is seeing the development of Angela Richards as, as Monique and Juliet Hammond Hill as Natalie gradually moving forward. They're, they're believing in those characters and seeing that they are the strength, the core of the show. And how, as it continues, ultimately it is Monique's story. That's what I love. At the end, it really is all about Monique, and as it should be. And it's fascinating that this is something that Ryan has started to recognise, even though he doesn't know anything about what happens. Um, and we've just reached episode nine, and he was saying, oh, I wish there was more of Monique in that episode, because she's my favourite character. And I was like, yes! <laughs> I was like, I was so ridiculously happy about that, because I'm trying not to say stuff. Which, oh, she's got the most about her, you know, she, you know. But, um... Yeah, I think, well, I know that Angela and Juliet really struggled against the maleness of Secret Army and how they were operating in a man's world. And, and it wasn't easy for them to, to flourish in that environment. But of course, the subject matter should be lifting them up and making it all about them. Because Didi, André de Jean, the real event, yeah, was running that line and the the female guides who helped her so yeah i just wanted to wanted to um talk to that hmm. yeah they're my favorite characters too which is why we get on so well <laughs> i mean no disrespect to the, the 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 male performance i mean you can't take anything away from bernard hepton clifford rose michael culver terence hardiman ron pember they're all excellent excellent but yeah. well we're kind of yeah. um we're kind of segueing naturally aren't we yeah. into our next topic which is what we love about the show so much so carry on on that train of thought andy okay so there's something about strong women for me in tv and i actually wrote a chapter about this in my remembering tenko book it was all about the different tv series that had spoken to me or and that spoke to the public um over the years if I think of this series, I think of Tenko, obviously. Survivors having two of the three lead characters being women and making one of them very strong, arguably too strong for the production team again in Carolyn Seymour. 
Yeah, this in- interest I had in strong women, and I have a question around that, around queer fandom of Secret Army, and now that I'm openly gay, and I think, what is the appeal of strong women to a gay man? What is that about? the young gay gay boy that was Andy, you know, what, what is that about? So I'm, I don't know how, I hope we unpack that over time, but certainly the strong women in the series is what, what really appeals. Yeah. I should also, I should also just quickly mention Hazel McBride, who I think is a wondrous character as well. Yes. And she's part of that appeal to me. Yeah. yeah. To build on that. Yeah. The focus on the female characters is absolutely one of the things that drew me in. I feel like I haven't ever seen a friendship between two women depicted so wonderfully and accurately as I have for the characters of Natalie and Monique. I feel like their characters are so vivid and real in and of themselves and I feel like I've always known them and it's such an incredible feeling to have that from a TV show and yeah they as we've kind of said before they have time to have that character development and and growth. You have Monique's relationship as a younger woman with an older man, which again wasn't the storyline I was expecting to find in this show. Just they they have good endings. We can question later whether we do want Monique to kind of have a white knight <laughs> come in and save her and whisk her off to England. We'll get into that later, but you know, it's a happy ending. They're not kind of killed off. Yeah. And uh, spoiler alert. And, yes. um, you know, you have this fantastic imagery of like, Natalie bursting into Avenue Louise, you know, slamming doors open and just, yeah, it's just incredible. Yeah, we should say that's, just to make it clear, that's Gestapo HQ, yes. isn't yes. it, at the end of, yeah, yeah. And when you compare yeah. it to other shows of that time, um, such as Kessler and Blood Money, where they don't even have a woman talking to another woman for the majority of the show. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm never going to stop going I'm, on about I'm, that, sorry. <laughs> that's always a priority for Martin and I um, two white middle aged privileged <laughs> men um, as we do UK TV drama pod we were always asking does this series pass the Bechdel test or not because it is important to us too it's important to recognise that the hilarious ironic ridiculous thing that's happened to me and Martin and we keep talking about it every time now is we're both now thinking do we actually like old TV oh right you're now questioning <laughs> it <laughs> got to a point where because we've got the lenses that we have now and because we're both quite woke but we're struggling with so many theories now and it's interesting how like the scales have fallen from our eyes as it were and we're now like oh this is tough this is not easy to do and also because in old tv you see the same problems repeated and the same politics and everything but anyway that's that's not a point i'll expand upon here but it's just interesting but i would also are you going to have um a relaunch like welcome to uk tv current drama (laughs) yeah well maybe because we're recognizing so problematic but i would say on the whole those series like tenko survivors secret army all the ones i've written books about still have more than enough in them to celebrate now and they don't really fall into that category of of problematic Although yes. we will be covering when Secret Army is problematic, will we not? Yes. We don't hold back. <laughs> we really don't. We will go for the jugular if we think things are wrong and that this should not have been. And if this is because of, um, yeah, 1970s men. <laughs> 1970s men. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Moving back to what yeah. we love about this Sorry, show. Yes. Is there anything else you would like to cover? We have covered our love that it focuses on the female characters. 
we started talking about performances and then kind of segued into a different topic. But yeah. whose performances do you love in the show? I think I have to talk about Clifford Rose as Kessler just because it's a monumental performance. It's it's fully authentic. It's lived. And he being the person he was, um, sadly no longer with us, he will have researched that, whole, that role to the hilt. He went to the Imperial War Museum. He wanted to find out what it was to be this this sort of person and what it was to relate to these sort of person this sort of person so he'd actually read letters and experiences of women who'd been with the Gestapo and like he he really wanted to know everything about it so he could build that part and build that role and he was formidable in that part but what an acting performance because he was not that man he was the kindliest granddad figure who would check in with me and how I was feeling, you know? It wasn't just like, how are you? He wanted to know how I was emotionally when I met him or I talked to him. He was such a lovely man uh, with a lovely family and a very loving wife. They were like the perfect, you know, married couple, Celia. And yeah, it's just to pull off that performance that was career-defining for him and so memorable and so well done. What a what a role Kessler is. And for the team behind Secret Army to write to it as well and to make it what it was, we needed a counterpoint to the Lifeline regulars and he is the perfect counterpoint. And, oh, just makes so many good decisions in that part. I'm nodding in agreement that listeners can't see that. <laughs> Any other character you would mention? Yes, my go-to uh, is always um, Angela Richards, I just think. This is going to sound like she's paid me to say impossibly nice things, but I just think she's perfect in like every scene. She just is so authentic. Like you just really, sometimes you you watch TV shows and you're like, oh yes, they're portraying sadness or anxiety or whatever very well. But with her, you really feel like she's, she's you know, really in that moment. I just don't even have the words, Andy. No, I, I know exactly what you mean. Her reactions are so real. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like you're not watching acting. Yeah. It's like you're watching a real person. It's so instinctive and yeah. and so real that it's just like you just you just experience it. Yeah, and listeners are going to get so fed up because every episode, <laughs> yeah. if you ever have a bingo sheet of like our repeated phrases, it's just me being like, Angela Richards is so great in this episode. <laughs> and it's probably worth saying that we, we're pretty much similar for Juliet as well. Juliet Hammond Hill as Natalie. Um, there's something so emotionally true and visceral about Juliet's performance and when she has her tragedies when she has her heart broken when she feels things so deeply and strongly and her resentment but also her love it's always coming from her heart and again such an instinctive performance from an actor that you know that this was the role of their life and how important it was for them to get it right and how much they invested in those roles to make sure that they come off on screen as well as they could. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I did a Twitter poll not so long ago about where everyone could vote for what episode of Secret Army they thought was the best. Uh -huh. And a matter of life and death came in the top three. And when we were talking about it, that surprised us a bit because we thought that as an episode kind of itself, it might not have been rated so highly, but your theory was that everyone was um, reacting to Juliet's um, scene at the end. Yeah, where she's crying um, in the car. Yeah. Where she's crying in the car. And that was such a moment for people that they were just voting that episode through to the final. <laughs> Basically, that performance alone. <laughs> yeah. It's 
so mesmerising and memorable as an episode ending. Yeah, totally. And then the episode that did win, Days of Judgment. Days of Judgment, yes. Is is all her, isn't it, really, for the most part? Yeah, quite it's honestly. It is, it is <laughs> Natalie trying to find Monique yeah. in amongst the, the trauma of that... Um, yeah, that time in Brussels. Yeah. But when the people have spoken, yeah, they, have... they are voting. <laughs> they are voting in favour of uh, her performances. Yeah, I would say for Days of Judgment as well. They're also performing. For, uh, they're also voting for the awesome performances of Clifford Rose and Hazel McBride as they're fleeing. Of and course, that is just, of course. Honestly, one of the best two-hander moments in Secret Army is that that scene they have together in the barn where he's deciding on that new identity and she's trying to work out how. What does this mean for me? as Madeleine Duclos. Oh, just so perfect. So much of that relationship. I think it's really important to mention how the Secret Army production team were careful to invest all of their German characters with codes, values, beliefs that makes them fully rounded people. Kessler obviously hugely flawed and problematic, but he still loves a woman and she still loves him, regardless of everything. And to explore that so bravely and to do it in such a way that you can occasionally even have sympathy is just stunning. Mm. The same is true of Michael Culver's Brandt and Terence Hardiman's Reinhardt. Just the fact that we believe in those characters so well. We believe in their heart. We believe that they're trying to find good in this situation. Um, they're not Nazis. And that's fascinating. Mm. They are Luftwaffe, first and foremost. And they, do they believe in this country anymore? And their struggle is so fascinating. It really is. How do I continue co with commitment to this cause when, in fact, I can't truly commit to it or believe in it? And how do I find self-worth in this as I continue my job? Yeah, I've had uh, the same clip from Secret Army pinned to the top of my Twitter account, which I, again, like I did in the initial recording, forgot to mention <laughs> the name of it. <laughs> but it's um, the user handle is Secret Army yeah. Pod. And it's Michael Culver's performance in the episode, The Big One, where he is confronted with the airman who potentially dropped the bombs that killed his family. Yeah. And, oh, just such a stunning performance. I never tire of watching yeah. it. But we can just name everyone, can't we? Because they're... We could, we could, but I'm sorry. I'm just going to have to mention Bernard Hepton just because yes. he's such a powerhouse. With Albert, you're never quite certain what he's going to do. He's unpredictable. He's selfish. He's self-serving, but also capable of great love and affection. His his commitment to the duty of lifeline, which sometimes is unswerving, but then also his commitment to money and the fact that he's, he's hugely flawed and particularly in, in his relationship with with Monique. But that scene at the at the garden party and his reaction afterwards in Russian Roulette in series two, where Kessler um, shows him the, the well, the him and the guests have to see all those people being shot and his reaction to that and yeah I, I would say it's the role of Bernard Hepton's career and he had many brilliant roles mm -hmm. and um, so many of the recurring characters are just so brilliant and always stay with you as well like Maria Charles and I always want to say Eileen Page yeah. Elaine Page Eileen Page <laughs> I always get them mixed up <laughs> Um, but yeah, they're, they're just also brilliant and add so much to the show as well. Yeah. And Hans and Lena from the barge. Yes, yes. Um, yes. And of course, even, even like Sophie and um, Madeleine, the, the French yes. resistance house, um, the French um, safe house women. Yes, the Sonley sisters. Yes. Yeah, they're also great. You're listening to Down the Line.
a secret army podcast. Yeah. So writing, we can talk a lot about the writing of the show. <laughs> we can. I love yes. that it doesn't patronize the audience in any way. I was really taken by that. I thought that was brilliant. And I love that it doesn't pass moral judgment on the characters. For example, it could very easily show Monique in a different light after the events of A Question of Loyalty, where she sleeps with a German. And it, it, doesn't, it doesn't pass judgment on her. It doesn't shame. It doesn't. It just is. All the events just are. Yeah. And I love that. It's so incredible. Yeah. I mean, that's just a bravura piece of television, that episode. It's got so much in it. And it's all down to her performance. But yeah, the writing as well, which supports her in that performance. I think um, one thing that's shared by anyone who talks or writes about Secret Army is just how suspenseful it is and how particularly the ramping up of that tension in Series 3 is almost unbearable as you're trying to work out what's going to happen. Um, will Lifeline be uncovered? When I was watching it and in day Days of Judgment where Natalie is looking for Monique, I, was, I felt so sick. I was just... Because everyone had kind of been ish, relatively ish safe until then. And that was the time where I was like, I don't, I don't think she's going to make it. I can't bear it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You were with her totally on that, that fear. Totally. And I think it's worth mentioning Jerry Glaster's love of Alfred Hitchcock, which was the reason why the suspense, the plotting was the way it was because he was so inspired by Hitchcock and he wanted this Hitchcockian vibe throughout the series so that it was true, true um, grand suspense that really um, gripped the viewer and he knew how to create that, I think. Mm. Yeah. I'm always struck by the quality of the writing in that it does so much with a short amount of dialogue. It will just put in little seeds of things in there. Like you learn that Albert came from a background where money was in short supply and it just like shows so much about his character but with so little and yeah. we talk about this as through for our episodes you know there'll be a scene where Albert and Andre are introduced and it's like a minute long but you you learn everything you need to know yeah. in that minute and it's just so incredible it's so economic isn't it yes yeah. yes I love the fact that it doesn't shy away from showing humanity to be equally good and equally bad it's not giving you a real like one ethical moral message it's to say, sometimes people do good things, sometimes people do bad things, and that's the reality. And to expect anything else is kind of unrealistic. <laughs> so it's a it's hugely realistic series, and I love it for that. There's also sort of um, embedded within that, there's this big drama around what is the right thing to do? What is the right thing to do in this situation? The amount of expedient decisions that have to be made in Secret Army are often some of the most gut-punching, wrenching moments where you think, oh my God, did they really have to do that? Or was that the right decision? Mm. And also, more importantly as the viewer, would I have made that decision? Yeah. And I think it's putting us in that place as well. It's, it's... Yeah, absolutely. As a viewer, you're, you're kind of forced to review your own yeah. morals yeah. and judgments. What I also love, you've, you've kind of mentioned it a bit already, but is that no one is truly good and no one is truly bad. So you've mentioned how they take the time to develop the German characters. You know, they're not just generic evil people off screen. But you also have those situations where Kessler treats Madeleine better than Albert treats Monique, yeah. you know, when, when the Allies come to liberate Brussels. And it really just makes you look at, you know, the good and bad in everyone. Mm -hmm. There are times when the behaviour of Lifeline is worse than the behaviour of the Germans in an episode or they're you know making harsher calls or they're murdering someone <laughs> and um, 
or they're not helping someone and it, and it just brings everything into question and it's it's so it's so clever it's so well done yeah one thing that I also love is how it constantly surprises me and throws me off guard. For me, the plot twists are often not action-based or result-based, but they're a subversion of my expectations. So it might be something like when they're getting the box ready for the orphan children and guests at God's table and Albert comes up to the box. I was 100% certain that he was going to take more out of it and he puts more money in. <laughs> And I was like, this is such a big plot twist. Um, and it's, it's because it takes what you think is happening and just turns it on, on its head. Yeah. I think it's also worth mentioning that the world building that's created, particularly as we get into series two and definitely in series three, but it's born in series two of this almost cozy Condide, in, in, despite the, the war that's raging around them and the, the terror that's, that's at their doorstep all of the time and the possible being found out and the threat of death and imprisonment, etc. They're still managers because of the performances of those regular cast to feel like we want to be in the Condide. We want to experience that day-to-day -day life. And within that, there's also there's, there's the joy, there's the laughter. There's all of Monique's singing, which is obviously a key part of the show, which I just adore. There are those moments that they share that often not inconsequential, but help us to understand them as people and help us root for them and help us to, to understand them better. And it's, it's such clever writing that you are getting closer to these people over time, just through spending time in their company, not through necessarily big plot moments or things that they do, but just gradually, kind of almost through osmosis, you get to understand them and know them and love them. I think it's what everyone does so well um, in Secret Army, building that authenticity, the writers and the actors. You just get so many small details and little moments like Monique might put a scarf on Natalie as they're getting ready to go to church or <laughs> I don't know, you know, just all those little kind of things. Yeah. And I think if we ask the actors, uh, as you, you and I have done, it is they would <laughs> say it is about the rehearsal time that they had to build in those yeah. touches. Yeah. and to to think about those things in detail and i think those little touches really do help to sort of like put the cherry on the top with this series another thing i would like to mention is um i love the intensity of emotions that watching this show provokes and the the range of emotions um so sometimes i would be you know just starting an episode and it would just leave me in tears one example is when the couple hear the germans coming up the road in the season three episode invasions mm. we've never met this couple before they're like oh no our time's up you know we knew this might happen yeah. this could be a possibility and then they act on their suicide pact and, and take their own lives and i was like you know in tears and i was like this is just the start of an episode and this is characters i don't even know <laughs> and that it can do that to the viewer is so astonishing and, and incredible yeah. And touching a bit more on authenticity, it's just worth mentioning that the commitment to that over time, to get that wartime setting right, but not just the setting, also the emotion. Jerry Glaser in the series Bible wrote to this fact that it had to be 1940s attitudes and responses to situations which were different to now or different to the 70s, certainly. And wanting to make sure it was it was quite brutal and true, but always authentic and getting all those details right, whether it's to do with planes, whether it's to do with, you know, radio operation or whatever it was that they really thought that through, even down to the music as well. 
um, watching it again this time in more forensic detail, I've realised that these would be songs they would have been listening to in, in the Condide. Um, and these records would have been out at the time. <laughs> you know, things like that are important and great time and care has been taken. Yeah, absolutely. And especially in things like the sets, like the detail and the authentic replication of uh, the Condides, which we go into a lot in our first episodes. Yeah, yeah. And I love it. it feel, the Condide feels like a character in its own right. And when you have episodes that spend a long time away from the Condide, I almost like, no, get back. <laughs> get back. I want to see the Condide again. <laughs> and I love um, pausing and, you know, watching for all those details. What's in the back room this episode? You know, what's on the on the shelves behind the bar? I love it. Yeah. I just think it would be interesting just to reflect on for a moment is is the, the real life history of this time. Yes. I bought so many books when I was writing the Secret Army book, um, I wanted to find out and understand more about the real-life evasion lines, but I believe it it affected you deeply as well, the, the history angle. Yeah, so um, it helped me reconnect with something that I uh, was cut off from and didn't know that I was, which is just kind of women's history in general, um, because it's so it's so rarely taught about in schools or historical events are just shown through a male lens and I was very nerdy so I did actually buy my GCSE history textbook because I wanted to see am I just misremembering or was that actually the case and there was a few mentions of you know women going into the factories and things like that but it overlooked so much and through Secret Army I've it's reignited an interest in history for me I now volunteer at a history museum and I've been going to lots of other um, museum sites that I've never been to before. I went to the RAF Museum in Hendon just this week. And um, yeah, I've learned about so many things like the Lumberjills or the SOE agents or the resistance lines in Europe. I had, you know, the Comet line I had never heard of. And I didn't know what all these brave um, people did. And yeah, I've just really valued that. I feel I feel much more connected to the past now because I know the role that women played in it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Juliet Hammond um, says, you know, in her interview with you that people watching would learn so much about that time from the show. And I am in full agreement. <laughs> yeah, she's dead right. I've, I have also been struck by creating this podcast. I feel like I've also got a better understanding of equality between men and women on screen and the way that women were written in the past compared to now and how women were treated in the industry then. Yeah which is often very um, upsetting and shocking to hear about women's experiences, which we go into in other episodes. Yeah. Um, I mean, but yeah. my favourite story around that is the production of Tenko when dear departed Pennant Roberts said to the, these, the, the gathered cast that um, really for authenticity in Tenko, they would really like it if the women didn't shave under their arms for the duration of production. And could they go home and ask their husbands and boyfriends whether that was okay? <laughs> Wild. Oh my God. And, you know, you see things like in, I found clips of the behind the scenes documentary about Secret Army and you can see, you know, page three type pictures on the on the walls on the notice In the board. production office, yeah. In, in the production <laughs> office and they didn't even think to take them down for the documentary. It's right there behind someone's head, just this woman cupping her breasts and you're just like, wow. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's a different world. It is a different world. And we have moved on. It makes me hopeful, actually. It does make me hopeful. I know that you've got the hideous people who are backlashing against that, but we have moved on as a society. Mm. Yeah. But I think it's important that you relating, I think, at this point to in this in this episode to having moved on. We're both coming to Secret Army from a perspective that is queer. 
Yes. And I think we should just spend a moment just discussing that. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) You have a really interesting theory, don't you, about why Secret Army might appeal to people like us. Yes. Uh, People like us being LGBT folk. Yeah. Yes, although not the, not all the theories are my own. So one of the things that struck me when I was watching Secret Army was that it is so much a story of found family. And you have a bunch of characters thrown together because of the war. And they, you know, come to mean so much to each other. You have Albert saying that Lisa was like a daughter to him. You have the Sunley sisters who uh, Natalie says, you know, spoil them like grandchildren. And that really connected... Um, to something in me. So I'm queer and my dad and my stepmom have never really been okay with my sexuality and I've never been able to bring partners home or they've never even learnt their names and I can't really mention anything um, in my life uh, that relates to that to them. But in place of that, you have found family. So you have, you know, friends or you might have um, an office mum at work and they are there with you throughout the best and worst days of your life you know they're helping you recover from surgery or you're having great day trips out with them and yeah there was something in that in that that was um resonating with me as an lgbt person and and watching secret army which was beautiful i never when i when i came into watching the show i never expected that yeah other theories yeah tell us lionel twig on twitter said that there's that aspect of keeping secrets and hiding your identity which LGBT people might have to do if it's not okay for them to be out. Was that something that you could relate to upon more recent rewatches of the show, do you think, Andy? I think, yeah. I mean, I've just kept so many secrets. It's such a double identity that, yes, I think, you know, it's something I relate to. I don't think it's why I I love the show, but it's something I understand mm. deeply <laughs> and have lived deeply. Yeah. There was um, another user on Twitter called Gemfell who just mentioned that parallel of living in a country with a hostile authority. Mm. Obviously, the show is touching upon occupied Belgium. Yeah. But they made the parallel to when you're an LGBT person. Chances are you've got a uh, government in power that is hostile towards you yeah. uh, or passing anti-LGBT laws and the like. Yeah. And yeah, and if, yeah that struck with me yeah. too. You know, I, all of my childhood was under Section 28, yeah. for example. Yeah. And just this idea that... Um, I think they are kind of like Lifeline are kind of like a minority and they're outsiders in and they're trying to operate in a world that kind of doesn't want them. And there's something around that as well. Mm. Around I'm not saying Lifeline Lifeline is gay. I'm not saying that. <laughs> but there's something about connections with outsiders and people who are on the fringes. Yeah. Or people who are doing things that um are not the norm because it's not the norm within Belgium at that time. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, another thing that resonated with me, and and, and to make it clear, I'm not saying that these experiences are like directly the same as, you know, living in wartime. I'm not. We're just saying they're parallels. But um, that aspect of you're kind of always on lookout or you don't know when something's going to happen. And that can make you kind of on edge in your day to day life. So Mm. last year I experienced an incident of hate crime on the bus. And yeah, it just you know, you're always looking out for it. You don't know when it's going to happen. But one thing I did find strength, I suppose, and comfort in was when I watched the Series 3 interview uh, with Angela Richards and she spoke about how so many gay women wrote in and sent fan mail because they were understanding that 
the show is depicting a friendship between Natalie and Monique, but for them, it was so real and authentic and that it meant, you know, so much to them as queer women. And yeah, that was so incredible and affirming to watch. Yeah. And how... I mean, in a way, they're kind of LGBT icons, aren't they? Yeah. And I think Angela and Juliet had to fight for those scenes and for that depiction of that intense, close relationship. And they were being told by the production team, no, we're a bit uncomfortable about this because this isn't normal. There was words like normal being used. You know, this isn't, you know, these women, are, we're worried these women are looking too close on screen now, you know, and it's just... It, which just shows, like, have they ever met any women in their lives? Right. Because, because, like, if you have any friend, you're probably hugging them, sat yeah. next to them. I don't know. But it, I think that just says so much about men working with men in a very male environment and not understanding that. And, yeah, it's so important that they preserve that. And I applaud them for preserving their roles and that connection. Yeah. And ensuring that it did make it to the screen. Yeah, yeah. So, Andy, I have a question for you. Oh, gosh. <laughs> we have already kind of mentioned some things that we've enjoyed about recording so far, but what have you been looking forward to or looking out for during our rewatch of Secret Army for the podcast? Okay, so this time around, I will be looking at the role of women in this series. Obviously, um, Natalie and Monique, but beyond that, how are the women written for? how much sexism is, is on display. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm really looking into that this time. And also aspects of diversity and inclusion as well and, and what is said and what is not said. I'm also interested in the fact that Jerry Glaister was determined that this should have po- popular appeal in 1977. And what is popular appeal then? And is that the same popular appeal now? Uh, and what does that mean? I'll be particularly looking, I think this is influenced by my time on the TV drama pod, is looking at different directorial and writing styles. Can I see particular themes, elements coming through? <coughs> Victor's Retellis. <coughs> um, <laughs> different <laughs> themes and threads. Because what I always found fascinating when I wrote both this book, the Tanker book and the Survivors book, that when you start to look at any of these episodes from these great series in detail, you find there are really obvious running themes that have been properly intricately woven by the writers. And it's all there, really. And it's just a question of pulling them together and making these, you know, I did a lot of, um, my, my favourite subject at school was English literature. And I used to love pulling quotes together and coming up with themes that I could write to an exam. And I'd, I'd always really love that process. And I found I've done the same with with these three series, particularly Sikrami and Tenko. And finding these threads and these these ideas and these conceptions running through the series, I just love digging into all of that. Yeah, and we haven't really kind of uh, mentioned them today, but there's so many that we will explore in the episodes ahead. Um, you know, like loyalty, that no one wins in war. Yeah. Friendships, yeah. chance and fate. Yeah. All of those kinds of things. Those, those people who those people who try to stay out of the yes, war as well. Yeah, yeah. How war always affects everyone. Yeah, yeah. Trust, another yeah. good theme. Yeah, so many themes. Yeah. I am really looking forward to having like a more overall view. I think because I have been focused on pulling out clips to put on Twitter, which gives you about a two and a half minute time limit. I've been very zoned in on key moments. So I'm really looking forward to kind of getting a bigger picture of things again. Yeah. And there's so much Excellent. to learn and observe, isn't there? Like 
we can watch an episode three or four times and then still notice something new and you'll notice things that I won't and vice versa and then I love it when we come together and we're like did you spot this what about this oh yeah that one and as we've discovered Ryan is coming up with things yes. that neither of us yeah. have thought of and I love that kind of like, oh, yeah wow. Yeah. Wow. yeah. In effect, we're doing what Doctor Who fans call the pilgrimage, which is watching all of Doctor Who from the start and the end. We're doing that for Secret Army. And just the fact that by watching it in order, in forensic detail, we'll, we'll pull things out that we probably may not have seen for a while or not thought about. Although having said that, I always watch it in order. I can't just pick an episode off the shelf and watch it. Whenever I've watched it, I've always watched it completely in order. So there you go. Oh, really? Yeah. Sometimes I, I sit down with a trusted favourite. <laughs> so what are your trusted favourites? I oh, know we'll come to that. We'll come to that later, I think. Well, I think we, we've kind of, we're already there, aren't we? Oh, we're, oh, there. we're there. Okay, so let's just, let's just ask you then. For you, AJ, what is the best episode of Secret Army and what is the worst? I mean, it's hard, isn't it? Because there's so many good ones. But if someone said, you've got two seconds, name one, panic. <laughs> <laughs> I am probably going to go for Trapped, which is an obvious choice. Uh, for listeners, that is the Series 2 episode where Monique gets shot and everyone has to rescue her from the hospital. Yeah. And worst episode? I really struggle with the one where Lisa goes down to the Pyrenees and there's a lot of scrambling around trying to work out from an account of someone's escape which village it is. Yeah, this is the episode Child's Play, which is not the episode about the child and the airmen. <laughs> no, it's not. That's growing up. Yeah. And if you want to see whether someone is a true fan of secret army say oh what did you think of uh, child's play and if they mention a boy <laughs> his mother dies you know yeah, cancel them immediately they're not worth yeah. your time no i'm joking <laughs> how about you okay so i really struggle to just choose one best episode so i'm not going to yeah you've got two seconds panic <laughs> go <laughs> i would have to choose bridgehead then um it's between bridgehead and days of judgment but bridgehead yeah. just because that was the moment that hit me and I've seen it I saw it three times before I saw it I think again um as an adult because there was a repeat of that one particular episode weirdly just this tv schedule is just going yeah bung that one on again yeah it was so weird <laughs> but anyway everyone yeah. loves that one <laughs> Bridgehead because of seeing Monique in the cage and the real reality of what it meant to be a collaborator and the threat that was being leveled at someone who was so amazing and so courageous and just the injustice of that that and what plays out within Bridgehead, which which I love. And actually, I disagree quite strongly with Angela Richards about how that episode plays out. But we'll we'll come to that. <laughs> yes, yes. Is that because because she would maybe prefer a different... Different route. ...ending yeah. for her character. Yeah. But we're both quite soppy romantic, <laughs> so we're like, yeah. oh... Oh, it's nice, dead nice. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of worst episode, because you've already chosen Child's Play, I should call, I should choose another one, um, which is I've always called it Hymna to Freedom, just because I think him is spelt funny, but Hymn to Freedom from Series One, which is quite a torture. This is where one of us says something in a silly way, and then it sticks <laughs> yeah, for yeah. the other person. I'm always going to think of it in that way now. It's called Hymna to Freedom, yeah, yeah, um, it, which is all about this sort of Quisling esque character who is is trying he. I, you see, I'm so bored by the story that I can't... <laughs> I can't even remember which one it is. <laughs> which one is it's it? It's <laughs> the one about the politician who's kind of in exile and he, he's he's writing this hymn to freedom. So right. This, this hymna to freedom in exile. <laughs> in the end, he has this big confrontation with Kessler and uh, Clifford Rose. This this brilliant scene about the tiger on the back and all of this stuff. But it's a, it's a long, torturous episode 
And there's lots of business with M and which I don't really remember. I think Maria Charles gets something good to do. But it's an episode that... Oh, is that the one where she's like saving the day yes. by like yes. noticing the fake airman yes. who's actually a German yeah. and then runs back? Yeah, it's that episode. But honestly, there are so many long scenes of men talking <laughs> that I'm just like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> Did you do what I do sometimes? Uh, what I did sometimes in my first rewatch, which was I just skipped really long scenes <laughs> of two guys talking. No, I never did that, but I could completely understand why you would. <laughs> yeah, particularly that bloody newspaper scene in Child's Play. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, quick fire round. Da, da, da. Old Candide or new Candide? I am firmly old Candide. <gasps> what? Mm. It's just so... It's just so real and vivid, and I just feel like it's a real wonderful place you could go to, and I love it. All right, I'm 100% new Candide, so we'll have to have to, yeah. we'll have to do what Harry Hill used to do. Fight, 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 fight. fight. <laughs> Sorry, I preempted yeah, you there. Exactly. Preempted you there. But, but which one's better? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, a more serious question: oh. What storyline would you love to have seen explored more or included in the show? I personally would have liked to have seen a romance for Natalie that was... Are we talking about Natalie again? <laughs> Sorry, yes. <laughs> no, no, I'm just joking. Please continue. <laughs> that would have been more detailed than either the one she has with Francois or the one she has with Bradley, which are kind of both problematic on different levels. And I think there was an opportunity to really explore Juliet's natural acting, emotional depth through, through more of... I mean, there's a lot that's there, but I think there could have been more developed. There could have been more screen time for both of those romances. And I never really buy the Francois one just because I can't see her ever being with him because he's a bit of a drip. Yeah. Um, but As I always say, there was a shortage of men at the time. <laughs> exactly. She probably didn't have a lot to choose from. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so I think a really good opportunity for for Juliet to flex her acting muscles in in that situation I would have liked to have seen that mm. uh, also if I can choose another yes you may I would also like to have seen more of the relationship between Madeline and Monique because I think in those moments where we have that it's really strong and maybe it's just right maybe it's because they're so right those moments that they do have that it makes you want more, but maybe that scant offering is right that it's just mm. that. Yeah, yeah. Know. Nodding in agreement again. I think the writers missed a trick in not including a bit more of the Lifeline regulars in Kessler. Right. If I could have a new storyline added in, I think they missed a chance to have some real conflict and drama if Natalie found out that Monique helped Kessler escape because you have that scene in the yeah. first episode of Kessler where they're all sat around a table and they Natalie's kind of talking well well they're all talking aren't they about that kind of issue of do you let it lie or do, do you should we track down and hunt down the people responsible for these atrocities even though it's some time later and Natalie feels very strongly on the view and Monique's just sat there you know knowing that she helped Kessler escape and I just think, why yes. did they not have a moment where that gets found out? Because Alan knows, doesn't he? So could you have had some kind of scene where, like, Alan lets it slip thinking Natalie yeah. already knows? And then I, it would have been so great to have, like, a big conflict between those two characters. How would, how would they resolve it? How would they 
work past it. Yeah, yeah. And I also think it's such a shame that Hazel McBride's Madeline isn't in Kessler. Yeah, outrage. <laughs> yeah, I just think that would have really, really given it something. And also Clifford Rose, Rose's wish that that series was set in the 50s. Yeah, yeah. I think that would have been... I, I understand what Kessler's trying to do and it's successful on more levels than I think it is. When I watched yeah. it again, I was quite surprised. But yes, that, that 50s rebuilding Germany... And Madeline working out a relationship with Kessler and yeah. actually having time to reflect about about him and the war and, and discovering about the atrocities of the Holocaust and how it would have been a very emotional human drama rather yeah. than sort of suspenseful, suspenseful light sort of thriller action, which is kind of what Kessler kind of is. Yeah. It would have been a much deeper emotional series, but I think that would have been fascinating. It just came to me then, you've got a kind of interesting setup there, haven't you? Because Monique leaves Belgium for England and then Madeleine leaves Belgium for Germany and they're both kind of, you could have a good comparison between their two storylines of they both have to leave the country because they, how they're perceived. Yeah. um, They perhaps means they can't stay in that country. And for Madeleine, it's a very different reason to Monique who helped to free her country, but then because she's viewed as a collaborator, isn't, welcome to stay there because of what yeah. people think it's so interesting and it's and then, this opportunity yeah sorry I'm sorry I was just gonna say and then they kind of weave in that storyline of Natalie might then leave Belgium to go off and do other things so yeah. what I'm essentially pitching is an international <laughs> drama <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it, it's it is in effect the the courageous thing that Tenko did to have a third series after the war where they you're finding out what happened to them and what was the impact of the war on these people that's what we're missing in secret army and that's what i feel pained about that we don't understand how natalie madeline albert monique alan how they adjusted to to normal life Mm. and it doesn't just because there's not people being i don't know shot at or you know suspenseful moments it doesn't mean that it can't be interesting yeah. to have that emotional drama exploring what it's like to rebuild your life. Yeah. It's so fascinating. Or how your relationships with the people who you spent a very intense period of your life with are afterwards. Um, yeah. And you get hints of that. So I really like the detail in the Unerd episode where Albert lent money to Alan and then charged a really high rate of interest. On you. Yes. <laughs> and it's like, this is so them. Yes. But then I'd love a bit more of of how they all, you know, relate to each other after that. You are listening to Down the Line, a Secret Army podcast. Right. Okay. What a discussion. We've really gone into everything there. We have. Is there anything else you wanted to say about how we wanted this podcast to connect and create a community around Secret Army fandom? Just to kind of uh, reiterate what we explained a little bit about in the beginning is that to get that wider perspective of Secret Army fans on the show, and we've been chatting to people, asking them to share their memories and what they love about it, how much it means to them. And yeah, we'll be playing it, playing uh, one person's memories and experiences during the closing music, uh, you know, after every episode. And I think that's going to be really lovely. Uh, There's been reasons why Secret Army might have been overshadowed by other things over the years. But what these sound bites will demonstrate is that it's been loved and remembered all along. So please do get in touch. Please do 
share your memories. If you want to have an interview with us um, about your memories, that'd be fantastic. We'd really love that. And how can people reach us? Oh, gosh. Well. You can contact Andy and AJ by emailing secretarmypod at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow Secret Army Pod on Instagram and Twitter. So join us again next time where we look at the creation of Secret Army and the first episode. Which is called Lisa Codename Yvette. And we may have a special, <gasps> special treat to accompany that episode as well. Gosh. Mm. Thank you for choosing to listen to us today. We're thrilled that you did. We hope you enjoy the podcast going forward. We certainly enjoy putting it together. Thank you so much. I have been Andy. And I have been AJ. Bye. My name's Jeanette. I've been a Secret Army fan since I first saw it in about 1977-78 when it was first broadcast. My obsession was with Natalie and Monique. Monique and then Natalie. Monique was my favourite. Although Reinhardt is now up there. But as as a 11, 12, 13-year-old girl, I've not got any sisters. I've got four brothers. So I used to get very fixated on women characters that had a sort of sisterly relationship. And I was also bullied a lot at school by girls. So I took solace in creating these scenarios in my head with the characters of Monique and Natalie, where I would also be working for Lifeline. I'd be like a younger sister. So rather than bullying, it was then transferred into, you know, <laughs> real peril in this one, well, not that bullying isn't, but, you know, Second World War peril and sort of surviving and having that support of these two women. I mean, I used to write about it in my diary. So it's sort of, I used to have a little code for them. I can still go back and read it and, it was, and, and I can think, oh yeah, that's what I'm talking about, that I'm thinking about. And we didn't have a video player, so we couldn't tape anything. So like when, in, when, when it was on, I was desperate not to miss it. But I used to read the books obsessively in between when this, when sort of, because they'd go off air and then they'd be repeated. My dad fought in the Second World War. He was in the Navy and didn't really see active combat. But we grew up very much on the diet of the Second World War. I mean, he was, he joined the Navy at 17 in 44. So he grew up through the Blitz. He was a teenager, lots of stories. And he was obsessed with reading about it. So we'd watch anything at home that was caught up with that. Um, and Secret Army, I guess, fell into that. But it is brutal. It is so brutal. And it still surprises me. But I think that's what I liked about it. And, what I, and certainly what I like about it now thinking back I can see why that appealed to me as a kid or a young adult at the, at the time I don't know if I thought about it that much but there was something that compelled me and I think it was probably that that fact that things were being inverted or complicated or lots of shades of grey rather than just you know good guys bad guys a really I mean when you think about the risk taking there in terms of the storylines within episodes but also that arc over the first series it's, a, it's very groundbreaking, you know, it's a brave thing to do. We were trying to come to terms with a history that was more complicated. And obviously immediately post-war, there's a lot of, well, hey, we're brilliant. But then it did feel like about coming to terms with a past where suddenly people are aware that um, the Allies committed atrocities as well. And I think dramas like this, as well as others, and maybe more subtle 
ways we're working through some of those anxieties and that this does it really well.